Coming to you on some serious tape delay via a podcast near you. From that hockey hotbed of San Jose, California, it's Dudes on Hockey. He is now accepting callers. He is calling me Dude. And now your hosts, Mike and Doug. Hey there and welcome to Dudes on Hockey Podcast. I'm Mike, that's Doug. Dude! 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 Sharks are rolling, dude! Sharks are rolling and it's all because of one James Reimer! Is that a fact? Dude? Dude? It is a fact. I mean, like, I think it, I'm sort of kidding as a way to, to open the... The episode, dude, but I mean, you look at Reimer's three starts in Teal, 169 goals against, 937 save percentage. Yeah, it's great. I mean, he's been really good. Like, that trade has been very strong. We've been getting more positive Sharks emails, more positive emails, even about Doug Wilson, which I'm going to throw a little props his way this week as we get into our conversation, but... And yet, uh, shark- and yet huh? we're getting negative emails about us, dude. People are giving us crap on the blog about how little we're posting, dude. How do you answer for yourself? I have a three-year-old daughter. No excuses. Dude. <laughs> I think someone, someone even quoted how many podcasts we've had since the beginning of the season. People are counting, dude. Dude, they said, I appreciate that people value our opinion that much, um, but yet we will do better. Dude, you know what? We will strive to do better. We will do better. Dude. We're in the playoff push. The Sharks need to buckle down. No more excuses from me, dude. No more excuses from you. We're going to be here on a weekly basis, dude. We're going to be here. We're going to be here. Nice, playoff dude. Push. I, I, pr- bump. I appreciate DeBoer the commitment. Bump. If that means that we have to record at two in the morning, dude, that means that's what we're going to do. You're going to get out of bed. You're not going to go to CrossFit and you're going to record. Okay. Really? Yeah. Dude. I'm making a commitment, dude. The Sharks have made a commitment to win games. They went out and they got a backup goalie. They went out and they got another defenseman and they're winning. I have to put forth the same commitment as the Sharks. I will make that same commitment. We will have a renaissance, just like Joe Thornton, dude. I have some interesting Joe Thornton stats later in the show, but let's talk about the previous week, or mm, more like 10 days. Uh, <laughs> so the Sharks have played five games since we last broadcast. They have gone four and one. Let's get the loss out of the way, because I don't want to just dwell on a terrible loss. But I don't know if there's any other way to characterize the blanking that we suffered at the hands of the New Jersey Devils, dude. How do how do we put this into context? When we outshot them thirty to sixteen, I mean it was it was kind of a weird game, but they just um it, it's that classic trap game, dude. Like there's no good excuse for it, but you see it across sports all the time. Sharks were on the road for two games, they came home had a letdown game against a bad team because they were looking at the Washington game that was two nights later. I think it's natural. It bothered me, but it doesn't bother me as much because they beat Washington. And I think that's the game when you're circling the best team in the NHL and you beat them decidedly in your own building, you know, I can forget about the Jersey game. I think we all should. 
you know, two really great efforts back to back against playoff teams and one against the best team in the NHL. Yeah, a team that's already clinched a playoff spot, which yeah. is kind of difficult to believe, but it's true. I think the thing from these last five games is, you know, we talk about Reimer, you talk about the goaltending in general. Um, it, it, it's been, it's been strong. And, uh, the road trip in Alberta, you know, Jones with a 980 save percentage against Calgary, Reimer with the shutout in Edmonton. I mean, those aren't good teams, but still, you know, they played very well and the Sharks gutted out some wins there. And, and you just you got to like what you see. The only thing that's discouraging and has nothing to do with the Sharks is as well as they're playing right now, unfortunately, the Ducks and the Kings are playing well, too. I was going to mention that. The, the four hottest, of the four hottest teams in the NHL, three of them are, are in the Pacific right now. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. In terms of the fact that on the streak that they're on right now, you would expect that they would be maybe surging towards the top of the division and they're not. I mean, they've basically just been holding serve because the other teams in front of them have basically identical streak records. So Mm -hmm. um, you look at these next five games coming up and you hope that the Sharks, I don't have the other guys schedule in front of me, but you hope that there's some, there's three very winnable games in there and a fourth that I think is winnable too. Um, but it's coming down to it. The Sharks need to continue that DeBoer bump towards the end of the year and and surge into the playoffs and at least get the two. Get the two seed. It's very doable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the Sharks have been playing well. I, I, I don't know how you can be unhappy with how they played at the Washington game. Obviously, they pulled away in the third period. I thought they didn't look particularly great against Boston. I thought Boston looked extremely dangerous the entire game. I was very afraid they were going to tie that game late after a really good third-period goal by Eunice Donskoy, which was originally credited to Joel Ward, which would have been nice to have him sort of off the schneid. I think he's been a little bit in a slump lately, but Donskoy has been playing awesome, and, and that put the Sharks ahead. And And they made, at least in my opinion, at least three or four completely ridiculously boneheaded plays late in the third period, and they were frankly lucky to get out of that game uh, without giving Boston a point. Reimer really sort of bailed them out. I don't know how you give up essentially a breakaway with 10 seconds left in the game in a one-goal game. And that's basically what they did. Uh, You know, they there were some really bad giveaways, some really bad uh, plays where, you know, the Sharks gave up a shorty in that game. There was another, at least one other good shorthanded chance that Boston had. And then there were some really sort of like two-on-ones and sort of inexplicable uh, breakaways or quality scoring chances that Boston had late in the game and Reimer came up big. And so I guess that's sort of the extent of my negative talk about the Sharks in the Boston game. But again, this is the team that's leading the Atlantic division, a team with, you know, Tampa Bay in it and... Montreal and some other really good teams. And so Boston. Don't forget Florida, dude. Don't forget Florida. And Florida. And this is a team that you really poo pooed early in the season. You thought Boston had no chance. And, you know, Boston is okay. They're now one point behind Florida. They were leading the division when the Sharks played them, but they're scoring a ton of goals. They have the most goals in that division. Uh, They have more goals than any team in the Pacific division. 
uh, they're playing extremely well. And Brad Marchand, I believe, is third in the league in goals. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that he's having an insane year. And, uh, and he's still a total jerk. I'm trying to find <laughs> a family-friendly name to call right. him. He is the biggest pest in the world. Oh, my right. God. That guy is so annoying. I just I still don't believe in them and I think that that team is trending down and when you get into a playoff series they're not going to be able to sustain the level of scoring that they've been able to do. I, I just don't I don't think they will be able to. But anytime you've got Tukarask, you you've got a chance to win. I was just going to say they have they have some tool, they have the kind of makeup that a team that can sort of scare people. I I agree with you. I don't necessarily think they're going to win the cup, but they have some good defense. They have a goaltender that can steal a series. They have an awesome defensive forward in Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. And they have one of the best, one of the top scorers in the league right now, Brad Marchand. Right. I I would still take Tampa Bay. I would take Tampa Bay in that series every time. I would too. I I would too. But, but I think people who say Boston is, is crap and they have no chance. I think, you know, they've been sort of, you know, I think they've been overlooked this year. And some of these guys that are playing really well are guys that you expect to play well. Bergeron, Louis Erickson, Krejci, like I mentioned, Marchand, of course. And then they have some good young players like Spooner and Krug and they got Bolescu, who's sort of forgotten here, but you know, Char is still playing well. They still got some good guys. Is Boston the Sharks of the East, dude? Are they the disrespected team that is playing well? Wouldn't you say the Sharks are going to get the same rap nationally? They do. I mean, and they've gotten it from us for a majority of the year. You know, the Sharks are a good team. We've never reached the heights that Boston has, but we've been up playoff perennial year after year they had a bad year last year um and then now they've surged back and some of these players joe thornton which i you know i think is a good transition into your joe thornton stats dude i mean he is having as good a year as i can remember in recent memory dude right he looks i don't know if it's the beard or what that beard and his play, his all-around play, has been outstanding. I think that Boston is the Sharks of the East, if only because they have Matt Irwin, who's only played two games and yet is still minus five. <laughs> I don't even think Matt Irwin is on that roster anymore, dude. No, he's only think... played two games this whole year, but he's minus five. I don't know how you right, do that, but, but he did that. I know. He played the first two games, and I think they cut him. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even know if he's in Providence or if they just flat-out waved him. Um I mean, going back to this Boston game just one more time and we can move off it is, you know, I know it was discouraging some of the, the, the errors that they made. But the encouraging thing is that the Sharks seem to be getting that kind of goaltender play that can bail them out in those kinds of situations. It's that, that stuff's going to happen. Yep. You know, hopefully not to that degree, but the Sharks haven't had, they weren't able to get that kind of goaltending from Auntie Miami, who more often than not was the one making those errors. And if Jones and Reimer can be winning games for the team when they aren't on their A game, that's how teams win cups. And it's encouraging to see Jones and Reimer step up to the plate right now. Yep. Yep. And, and the other, the other thing I guess I could talk about Joe Thornton, but also, you know, I've, we've talked about in past weeks is that these younger players, Hurdle is playing extremely well. Donskoy is playing well. 
you know, some of these younger guys are doing a great job. You know, you can sort of see, I don't know if I go, I almost said you could see a way forward for this team. I don't know if I'd necessarily go that far, but you can certainly see, let's put it this way. You can see a line of tomorrow. You can see Hurdle and Donskoy and Couture becoming a bridge to the next generation of Sharks. When, when the Thorntons and the Marlows retire, um, you can sort of see a forward line that can, that can go and can play really well because you know, Hurdle and Donskoy especially, they're playing extremely well right now, and they're looking absolutely at home against some of the best competition the NHL has to offer and playing with some of the best players. Yeah, can't disagree with that, dude. Um, how much of that is a product of, of the veteran players that they're playing with? You know, um, hard to say. But they are playing well. Donskoy especially, which, you know, I think if, if we're on the DW props bandwagon, I mean, DW certainly deserves some criticism for some of the moves that he's made in the last couple of years, but he deserves 100% credit for pulling the trigger and landing Jonas Donskoy. I mean, this guy is, you know, an impact player as a rookie. He's 23 years old. I think, you know, with all his international experience, we forget how young he is and that this guy could be an important part of the Sharks roster for years to come. Absolutely. Um, and he does a lot of the little things that you like to see out of, uh, out of players. And he's, ne- he's never going to be a 70, 80-point guy. But he's going to be that, you know, 40, 50 point forward that is good defensively that you can, that plays, you know, in all three zones. Yeah. And he's been quite a fine dude for someone who's just signed as a free agent. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. That is a, it's true to see, you know, we didn't even have to use a draft pick on this guy. Got him for absolutely free. Nothing. Yep. I mean, DW just definitely deserves credit for that. You know, and, and even though Carlson has kind of regressed a little bit this year, he's still, he's not bad. He's a useful player. Mm-hmm. He's just not experiencing the, you know, uh, fanfare that, that he had at the end of last year. Um, I think Don Scoy is clearly past him in terms of being an impact player, dude. Before you get into Joe Thornton, dude, I just want to say one more thing about, um, all the talk of Brent Burns being moved to forward has suddenly vanished. Are we done now? Are we done with this? Dude is dude is now a minus three. Yeah. Dude is now a minus three. Wasn't he like a minus 13, minus 16, just like a month ago? Yeah. Dude is a minus three and he has 64 points. That's ridiculous. I don't want to hear it ever again. I don't want to hear it again. Yeah. From anybody. Yeah, I I, mean, I, I agree is, that like sixty four points for a forward would be an excellent, if not elite, output. Twenty six goals a defenseman. It's just unbelievable. He's just he's ripping it up right now. He's he's tied. Sandus Oslinch. Actually, I'm a little surprised that Sandus Oslinch scored twenty six goals as a shark. I guess you know. I was knee high to a grasshopper at that time, or something. But, <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he's tied Santos Oslinch in goals. He's tied Santos Oslinch for Sharks record in points. Clearly, with 13 games left in the season, he's going to break that record both in goals and points. Brent Burns will be having this year the greatest season a Sharks defenseman has ever had. 
It's incredible that we should move him back to forward. <laughs> for that, for that, we should definitely ditch him. Absolutely. Dude, I know you want to talk about Joe Thornton. Okay. I definitely want to talk about an interview that Brett Hedekin did on KBR last yes. week, but I'll yes. let you go first. No, no. Uh, actually, let's talk about that first because I think that has the bigger... I mean, when people start hearing numbers and PDO and this and that, I think everybody just sort of turns off. So let's talk about Brett Hedekin. I mean, when you, you texted me about this interview and you said, dude, listen to Brett Hedekin on, on KMBR. You got to hear what he has to say. And when I heard it, I think my, my mouth may have actually dropped open. It was To me, it was a bombshell. And I w- maybe I was a little surprised that it did not sort of become more widely disseminated amongst Sharks fans and blogs and things like that. Maybe you can try and help me first tell me what he said, and then maybe you can help me understand what this is about. Well, about five minutes into an interview that he did on KMBR, Brett Hedekin, uh, they talked about last year, and he made a statement, and I don't have the exact quote, dude, but I believe he referred to Todd McClellan and Doug Wilson's relationship as cancerous. That was the word. That was the word he used. That was the word that he used. And, I mean, he alluded to it being a distraction. He alluded to it being, you know, a dark cloud that hung over the entire team. And um, it was surprising that this didn't become more of a um, widely known topic. I mean, either... Our beat writers knew this and out of respect to the coach and the GM decided not to report it, which I don't, I think as a reporter, I find that to be a little irresponsible. I don't know what, what you think about that dude, but, or they didn't know, which I don't know how you could not know that, but Brett Hedekin is around the team all the time. And he said it was a major, major distraction for the franchise last year. And it probably goes all the way back to the Sharks losing in seven games to the Kings two years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I was shocked at his brutal honesty. You just do not hear that. You usually hear people just giving you the party line. And he let it hang out, dude, right. and just aired the dirty laundry. And I'll be, I'm wondering what the Sharks franchise reaction to their employee saying these things would be we'll never know but it couldn't have been positive yeah it was, there was so many things i was i was thinking about after i heard that one is okay for, the first thing i heard of is how come we didn't hear this before right that was the first thing you're right you know and that and that's an important context to to keep in mind is that brett hedekin randy hahn dan rusinowski and jamie baker are employees of the sharks and so they have a vested interest not to make the franchise look bad. And I certainly can say if, if the GM and the coach are not speaking or they have a terrible relationship or cancerous or whatever you want to call it, I can understand those employees not wanting to make that information public. However, there are plenty of other people that cover the Sharks, and it, it, it stretches my imagination to think that these guys did not know that. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they kept it that close. Sometimes... You put forth a professional front and you can fool everybody into thinking that your relationship with a colleague is purely professional and is you know cordial and all that kind of stuff when it, in fact it is rotting the team from the inside out. And that's it's sort of what it sounded like, what, what he said, which I thought was shocking. The second thought I had was, how come there were no follow-ups 
on the radio interview. How could you not probe that a little bit more? I mean, right. what do you mean? What made it cancerous? What specifically was the problem? Were they having, you know, screaming matches at each other? What was the contention? I, right. I, I wanted to understand all of those things. And, and maybe it's just the fact that the guys on KMBR don't follow the Sharks closely enough to understand exactly what bombshell fell into their laps. Am I have I been sleeping the last season? Has this not been? I mean, I almost feel like it was just like whatever. No one really else even mentioned it. I just thought this was right. like a huge deal. Everybody was talking about Joe Thornton calling DW a liar and all this nonsense. Right, right. And, and this seems so much more important. Definitely, there there were comments last year on TSN Hockey Central podcast where Nick Kiprios made at least one reference to this, but he didn't make a big deal out of it, but he did. I remember he said something about their relationship being strained. I don't know if we ever talked about it, but he didn't like make a big deal out of it. This sounds like it was a really big deal. And you can see how the team has rebounded partly because of personnel, but partly because probably the atmosphere is much more conducive to being uh, positive, you know, no matter whose fault it was. Um, that was a bombshell. There was one other thing that was said during that interview that I found to be um, a, a topic that no one seems to be willing to go near. And Brett Hedekin, again, and I'm pra- paraphrasing him, said that Patrick Marlowe is not a top six forward anymore. Yeah. And to accept his role as a third line center. Yeah. And that is not anything that anyone has been willing to state on the record from the Sharks franchise, and I found it fascinating. Yeah, and 100% true. Uh, Yes, I I totally agree, and I think that we're seeing the fruits of that play out in front of us right now. Um, Does that hurt his trade value in the offseason? Probably, if that's the opinion league-wide. I mean, maybe it's not. But we've seen Joe Pavelski play that role, you know, when he was – way, you know, overqualified to be a third line center. And Marlowe's defensive ability um, and his regression in scoring has made him better suited for that role. And it seems like he's willing to do it. And the Sharks are seeing the benefit of it. But no one's ever said it. And I just thought, Brett Hedekin, you know, my, my hat is off to you for being honest. Yeah, I thought that was kind of, yeah, those are two major points that I think of are now, you know, obviously true and and really sort of puts this team into an interesting frame in terms of where they're sitting, you know, both going forward and in the past year or two, you can really understand, um, you know, where this team was coming from. I thought it was very interesting how all that sort of went down. I don't, quite understand but it certainly explains you know some of these uh sort of breakout performances and and sort of this this team that's sort of found its its legs and 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 some people are making a case that the sharks could be really dangerous going into the playoffs i'm not entirely sure i agree with all of that i don't want to put my rose colored glasses on too too much here but you know it's certainly seeing them beat the number one team in the NHL and Boston, you know, back to back can make somebody believe against certainly a team that's been pretty bad at home, pretty bad at home the entire season. It's hard to not feel 
optimistic right now. And, you know, the, the window, we, we've talked for years about the window, right? The window of opportunity of winning a cup. And, you know, I think last year we firmly believed the window was shut. I don't think it is completely shut. I think that there is a crack in the window right now. And because of, you know, the history of DeBoer teams overachieving in their first years, the complete buy into the system right now, I think the red flag is still how mediocre the penalty kill is. Um, that cannot be the case in a playoff series. You will not beat, you know, elite teams with a crappy penalty kill. And they're in a bottom third penalty kill right now. But the power play is elite and their best players are playing at, you know, star quality levels. So the recipe is there. You know, um, and the Kings and Ducks are not perfect. So um, the, the, the Kings and Ducks are not perfect, but there's some there's some things that make you take notice about the, both the Kings and Ducks that let me talk about here in my little stats thing. For one, I, okay. I know I talked about how awesome Joe Thornton was playing, I think, last week or last last podcast. And I don't want to belabor that point. But if you look, they, there's a there's a stat called uh, goals for percentage, which is basically, you know, a, a player's on on the ice for a hundred goals scored. What percentage of those goals are offensively scored? You know, scored for your team or scored against? And Joe Thornton is number one in the NHL right now in goals for percentage. Seventy-one percent of the goals scored when Joe Thornton is on the ice are scored for the San Jose Sharks. That is a pretty unbelievable percentage. Um, so, and Joe Pavelski is number three in the league. Uh, it's, That's incredible. It, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. I think it's actually it's helped somewhat by the fact that uh, the PDO stat, which is uh, goals against percentage plus goals for percentage, uh, is a little elevated for these players. Usually, around a hundred is sort of normal. Uh, Thornton is one hundred five, and Pavelski is one hundred four. So they're a little elevated. I think that can sort of explain some of those uh, some of some of that you know high goals for percentage. But you look at all these other players up near the top, and you see very similar numbers. Uh, you know, guys, there are other other players like Tyler Toffoli is number five, for instance, and there's other kings around there. So, you know, that's one stat that really sort of brought my attention when I was looking at some of these stats. If we look at sort of possession stats like Fenwick and Fenwick percentage, if we look at some of those, uh, like seven of the top, no. Six of the top ten players are Los Angeles Kings. It is pretty unbelievable. Seven: Gabrick, Pearson, Dowdy, Trevor Lewis, Dustin Brown, Milan Lucic, all in the top ten in Fenwick percentage, which is a, a basically a puck percentage stat. Braden McNabb is number eleven. Andre Kopitar is not even in that group. He's number fifteen. It's pretty nuts how good. LA is right now in terms of puck percentage. And I know we said last week, we may not be that scared after looking at this lineup. I'm a little scared. I'm a little scared looking at this. These guys are holding on to the puck hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. And they just killed two really good teams in the last two games. They crushed Chicago. Well, we're going to see them in person soon. I believe we see them uh, sometime in the next week. So, It'd be interesting to see, you know, if the both teams are still rolling hot, what happens when they collide. And I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a nice preview of what's to come. Yeah. 
The only the only other thing I want to get all the negative stuff out of the way uh, immediately. If we look at that PDO stat, like I mentioned before, uh, in terms of and that that's that seems to be a, a stat that a lot of people use as a proxy for luck. People that have a really high PDO number generally are considered fairly lucky because teams can't reproduce that from season to season. If you have a very high PDO, it just sort of means like, well, you kind of got lucky this season. The Sharks are number 10. They're right around 100. That's pretty normal. There's a lot of teams right around 100. There's like 15 teams right around 100, including the Los Angeles Kings. However, one of the worst teams, i.e. one of the most unlucky teams, are the Anaheim Ducks. They are third from last. They are below 99% PDO. So if you expect what people call a regression to the mean, you might see the Ducks rise. And that's not that's also not a very good thing for the Sharks. So Anaheim's been somewhat unlucky this season in terms of shooting percentage uh, and somewhat unlucky in terms of save percentage. So, um, you know, their shooting percentage is only uh, 6%, which is pretty bad uh, for most teams. And there's not too many teams below them in that. So... You can say, you know, it can easily last for one season or even more. Anaheim could continue to shoot poorly into the playoffs and beyond. But uh, if things start going normally, you might see Anaheim get a little bit of a bump. And we've seen a bump. You know, there's, I think they're 7-2-1 and one in the last 10. So, uh, you know, they're definitely playing well the last uh, month or so. Such a downer, dude. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to get it all out of the way at once. And then we can start talking about the great stuff again. Way to rip the bandaid off. The Sorry, party. dude. I just, you know, I kind of, I kind of want to make, I kind of want to calm everybody down. You know, I, I see, I see people say stuff like, "We should start Rhymer now." Like, put Joe's on the bench. <laughs> like, everybody, calm no. down. Everybody, yeah, take it easy. I, that that is true, but I think that there are so many positives to take right now. You just got to hope they can continue it. They've got a tough game against New York, and they got Arizona twice in the next, you know, four days. You got Vancouver popping up again a couple times. There's a lot of winnable games coming up here. Absolutely, um, and and they just need to continue to to play well. And when they get into a series, I really think for them that that you know I think Hedekin said this too. He feels way better about this team competing against the two high level teams like the Ducks and the Kings than he has in several years. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, he seems to be sort of the truth teller right now. So I'm going to ride with that, dude. Yeah, I mean, he certainly seemed to be dropping some dropping some bombs on what's going on here. It's just, yeah, it's the Pacific is sort of shaping up, at least in terms of points. They aren't nearly the class of the league. I mean, the the actually L.A. has more points than Florida, who's the division leader in the Atlantic right now. So so the Pacific isn't isn't exactly the butt of the league right now. Um, I think they're going to be growing. I, L- LA has a really good goals differential, the second best in the league, only behind Washington right now. So it's not so clear that the Pacific is the worst division in hockey anymore. Although obviously after San Jose, there's a gigantic drop off, and there's no chance that a fourth team from the Pacific will make the playoffs. No, no chance, uh, dude. It's a party over here right now, dude. I see that you have the party hat on. Uh, what yep. is the occasion? Um, it's time for some emails. Oh, okay. Let's go to the emails. I see we have an email from Bulgaria. Yes. Which is really awesome. Um, and Peter uh, sends us a link to an article that I had not seen, which I am very happy to have seen, which is about our man, DB22, uh, being a roadie 
for a band called Faith No More, which all you millennials out there, they were a great band in the 90s. Sorry, if you've <laughs> never heard of them, you should go check them out. Um, which does sort of tie into it. One of my like two Dan Boyle stories, you know, one Dan Boyle story obviously is the time that you and I got to meet him. Right. The other Dan Boyle story was one time I was in Los Gatos eating lunch at the Los Gatos cafe. And I think I told the story maybe a year ago on the podcast. It's a good one. Tell it again. And it's funny because it does, it does dovetail in with this email, how he toured with faith no more. And I was eating lunch with my friend and I look up and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, a guy walks into the, the restaurant with a Faith No More shirt. And I thought to myself, huh, it was, a, I believe it was the Angel Dust album, which is my favorite Faith No More album. And I was thinking to myself, huh, I don't often see people wearing Faith No More t-shirts. And that's cool to see an Angel Dust album uh, t-shirt. That's neat. And I went back to eating my lunch and we left the restaurant and then someone called after us dudes dudes and it was dan boyle's wife and it turns out the guy wearing the faith no more t-shirt was dan boyle <laughs> and i noticed the t-shirt before i noticed him i didn't notice him at all i just noticed the t-shirt <laughs> so we had a nice conversation with him and his wife which was extremely generous of her to call us back i i can imagine it was sort of you know backwards day to be called back right. by a guy who, the, who the, played for the NHL. Like, by, uh, the, you, you are the celebrity. Yeah. Uh, dudes. Which is patently ridiculous. And, uh, <laughs> but it was cool to talk to him. And that was, um, I believe, I think that was, you know, in the middle of his last season with the Sharks. Right. But right. Uh, it was really cool to read this, uh, this article in Rolling Stone about him actually touring, you know, hanging out with the band for four or five dates and actually, you know, sloughing gear for them and getting guitars ready and things like that, you know, and it just sort of, you know, it, it sort of drives home how, how cool of a dude Dan Boyle is. And, and he likes the, uh, the hard nineties rock. How can you not, he does. how can you not appreciate that? That's right, dude. Uh, man after your own heart, dude. Absolutely true. So thank you, Peter, for the email. That was really cool. Um, we also got an email from Brian. Um, who was uh, noticing that? Um, let's see here. Let's go. Let's go through some of his points here. Um, not a fan of DW, but he's he's on board with some of the moves that they've made this year. And I think you could say that probably about a lot of Sharks fans. I think a lot of Sharks fans had pretty much soured on the GM, but excited about Reimer adding Polak as a defense. You know, depth move was good move. And uh, I think a lot of people were chiming in on our best uh, goalie tandem of all time topic. Uh, I, I don't think too many people were with Tracy, who was obviously uh, tongue in cheek with the uh, Millis comment. But uh, I think He's the Nabby, so Toscal- Nabby Toscala is the consensus best duo. I mean, she she is funny, and I do enjoy her email. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, uh, Brian did ask, we have traveled to watch the Sharks play on the road. What is your favorite road city or building to visit and why? Brian likes Vancouver, not the least of which is the Sharks have owned the Nucks in their building for a while. That's, that's a really good reason to love Vancouver, dude. What, what's, we have been to some games on the road, dude. What's been your favorite venue to see the Sharks? Stockton. We saw them play in Stockton? <laughs> no, we've just been to Stockton to a game. Everybody um, loves Stockton. 
definitely not the Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> um, well, dude, we had a great time at, in New Jersey. We, we had fun seeing the Sharks play there. You know, we went to the Garden to see the Rangers play. We did not see the Sharks play there. Right. But that's an unforgettable experience I mean, to see the Sharks play at the Garden. Right. Uh, I mean, but, but we saw the Rangers play the Islanders, actually, at the Garden. So uh, we had a great time there. I think it's just so nostalgic. So I, I would, I'd go with the Garden, dude. See, you know, I'm not going to go with the garden because it's it's a very historic building. But in all honesty, and this is a little harsh, it's really not the best building to watch a hockey game in. They have these sort of railings that go near the ice. They can sort of block some views and things like that. Of course, it's great. You know, it's like it's been there since what the '60s. You know, you know, it's it's such an electric building. But um, I've seen them play in Anaheim. I've seen them play, uh, you know, some other places, obviously, in New Jersey. I thought the New Jersey building was better to watch a hockey game in. I enjoyed that. We got some uh, fun ribbing from Devils fans. We that did. Was, that was pretty enjoyable. Um, I would love to see them play in Canada. We've never seen them play in Canada. I'd love to go to Vancouver or Montreal or Toronto, but I'd have to take out another mortgage on my house in order to afford <laughs> that. So I think we might right. be holding off on that. But um it's a good question. I, I'd love. We'd love to hear your stories about seeing the sharks on the road. Uh, if you have a great story about seeing the sharks in somewhere uh, interesting, um, we would love to hear it. So you can email us at uh, questions at dudes on hockey if you have a good story. For instance, if you paid three dollars to see them play in Phoenix, which I'm sure many people have done, <laughs> or Glendale, excuse me, burn, dude, burn. That's a burn. It is kind of a burn, you know, a little bit. Um, uh, we do have um, a, a Tracy email. Uh, she emailed us again. And, uh, dude, we one thing we didn't talk about is the Darnell Nurse attack on Roman Polak. And Tracy brings this up, and she has to say, shame on the Canadian media that championed what Darnell Nurse did. That was way over the line. Dude, what is your opinion on this hit? I think he was suspended one game. Is that true? I think it was three. Um, garbage. Garbage play. I mean, garbage play, completely unnecessary. And, you know, it'll be interesting when they play again to see what happens to Darnell Nurse. Like, I, I don't think Roman Polak um, isn't a dirty player, but he's a tough guy. And you know, I, I think Darnell Nurse is going to get um, a little medicine <laughs> next time. Because because Polak had no chance, and and if Polak had had a chance, that would have been a fight. It wouldn't have been um, a complete blindside like it was. It's a cheap shot, dude. He deserved to get suspended. It's garbage. Yeah. A game that meant nothing to them. Like I mean, you know, and the game was almost over. G- give me a break. Yeah, I agree, and I think that was one of the precipitating events for the suspension. It was so late in the game. The Sharks had the game in hand. It's there's really no point to it. I, I don't know why why he was. Well, doing it, that. And Pollock was defenseless. I mean, like he there was. It's an instigator plus. Like I mean, it wasn't even a fight. Like he just he basically just jumped him. Like if if, if Nurse had a a track record, it would have been more than three. Like it, it was. I thought it was pretty, pretty poor. Yeah. Lame, lame. Dude, one final email from Ted, who's talking about the PK. I know we already talked about some negative stuff, but Ted wants to know, what should we do to fix the PK? Should we change up some combos? Um, 
you know, should we, he said after the three goal, three goal PK breakdown against Vancouver, I noticed Pollock out for much of a later PK and he did very well. I say, let's try something new, dude. What, what, what should the Sharks do to fix this penalty kill, which is really maybe the only glaring hole left? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I don't know what the answer is, but I think that they do need to maybe step back and reevaluate you know, either who they're using or what their strategy is because it's not working. Like they, they seem, they seem to get backdoored a lot. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it strikes me as a coverage issue. Like the, their coverage seems to be poor. Um, guys seem to be standing in open lanes and, um, I don't feel like the other team is scoring a lot of difficult power play goals. I feel like some of them are, are, are like tap-ins and dunks and, you know, that's what's troubling. Yeah, It's not like you're scoring from the point and it's deflected on some sort of goal where you're just like, ugh, well, what are you going to do? Right. There, Some of them are pretty, pretty glaring mistakes. So, yeah, maybe it's personnel. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It's kind of puzzling, you know, um, but you know, one, one you know, thing that may may help, and it's one player that hasn't played in a while, and that's coming back soon, is Tommy Wingles. I mean, Tommy Wingles has played a pretty significant amount on the penalty kill. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'd like to think that Tommy Wingles could help in this regard. Yeah. Um, you know, Pollock playing more, Burns playing less. I can be on board with that. I know we've talked before about how much Burns has been playing, and and you know, Burns seems to be just a pretty effective player almost everywhere right now, but. It would be nice to see, um, you know, maybe him take a, a bit of a step back uh, when it comes to certain certain roles. Um, right. You know, I. You know, it seems like if if I'm looking at Fenwick of of shorthanded, it, it looks like best Fenwick is is Nieto, Polak, Wingle, Spalling, Ward, and then there's Burns, Vlasic, and Marlow and Braun, and Paul Martin is sort of bringing up the rear here, so. Um, you know, maybe you go more with speed and Matt Nieto, who's certainly shown a lot of great speed lately. And uh, you go more with the stay-at-home D with Vlasic and Polak and uh, maybe keep Burns out a little bit more and rest him more for, for, the, for the power play. I, you know, I don't know. But um, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too upset with that kind of lineup, I guess. Well, I, they certainly should continue to tinker because what they've got going on right now is not that not going to carry them very far. So if, they if, if Wing, like, when, when Wingles comes back, which I think we have to assume he's going to be back in the next week or so, who is going to leave the lineup, dude? Who's he going to take the place of? I know Kevin Kerr said Nick Spalling might be the guy. Is there anybody else that you think is a I mean, candidate? Be, I mean, it could be Melker Carlson. I mean, yep. um, I, I don't know. I think the thing that's nice about having Spalling is that, you know, he can take a draw. Um, he's kind of cooled off uh, his offensive output since since coming over. But, um, yeah, I mean, it could just or it could just be a rotation of guys that you play uh, just to keep some of those bottom six guys fresh. And that's the depth of the Sharks once Wingles is back is you've got a guy who won't be playing that, that could be playing every night. And that's it's a nice place to be right now because someone's going to get hurt at some point yeah yeah another thing i might put more patrick marlowe in on the pk you know it's like if he's going to embrace this third line role like it's a defensive forward role 
say, you're the guy. You're the guy right. we want to kill penalties. I know right. you're not going to be getting all of, like the best power play minutes, although he does seem to be on the point a fair amount on the power play. You know, that might, you know, if you, if you, if the coaching staff came to Patrick Marlowe and said, I know you've been getting fewer minutes, you're no longer playing with Joe Thornton or Logan Couture, but this is really what we need you to do for us. This is really going to take us to the next level. This is the thing we need to improve the most. And we know you're a great defensive forward and you can help us. And, you know, maybe he can step up. Now, I would love to see Patrick Marlowe be that guy. Sign it up, dude. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can give me a call. You know, you can, yeah. you can send us an email. I'll, I'll talk to him. Look for the Faith No More t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'll be wearing my King's X t-shirt. Nice, dude. As if anybody knows who that is. Anyway, uh, dude, I think we've gone on long enough for this week. I know we have a renewed uh, commitment to broadcast more, of course. We do. That, that so happens to correspond with the fact that the Sharks are playing well. So it's just it's funny <laughs> how that all works out. And as does the interest in the podcast, so... <laughs> You know, uh, we'll we'll run with it, dude, and and we will we pledge to be more consistent. So, do we have we'll two? Yep, two Arizona games coming up, and then Rangers in St. Louis. So we we do have uh, sort of like bad, good, bad, good, bad, good coming up here. Uh, so hopefully the Sharks can gain the points against the teams they definitely should, i.e., Arizona and Edmonton, and then they can play the Rangers in St. Louis tough because that's who they got coming. Let's hope so, dude. All right, dude. Go Sharks. Go Sharks. Hate the show? Want to get your questions on the air? Email questions at dudesonhockey.com. Dudes on Hockey is not affiliated with the San Jose Sharks organization or the National Hockey League.